This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. John chapter uh, 14 is where we're going to be at today. If you read through the Gospels, and just kind of by way of introduction, we sometimes refer to uh, the first four books of the New Testament we refer to as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke contain a lot of the same stories told from different perspectives uh, with different details included and things like that. We sometimes refer to those three as the synoptic Gospels. Uh, The book of John kind of stands alone on its own because we find things in the book of John that aren't mentioned in the other Gospels. Uh, And so it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, they're they're different or they're historically inaccurate or anything like that. They tell the exact same story. But John is unique because as John writes uh, the story of Christ, and and again, the word gospel literally means good news. And so it's the story of Jesus Christ, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As John writes his gospel account, he has one motive in mind and one motive only. To tell Jesus' story to prove that Jesus Christ is God. John's account, he doesn't talk about Bethlehem's manger. He doesn't share uh, Joseph and Mary. He doesn't tell anything about Jesus' childhood or coming up years. John starts off his gospel His account, John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W Word, speaking of Jesus Christ. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very first verse. He he makes the case for what we refer to as the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. In Matthew chapter uh, 5 and 6, we find Jesus' most lengthy sermon that he ever gave. We refer to that as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, John, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, uh, 5 and 6 has a lot of red letters in there because Jesus spoke a lot. Jesus' most lengthy discourse that we find, his, his biggest message that he gives, uh, most contiguous message that we, we find in the book of John, is in John 14, 15, and 16, where he talks about the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus, just to give you context, here's what's happening. Jesus is probably hours away at this point from being arrested. He'll be tried, falsely accused, beaten, crucified. uh, And he's hours away from that at this point. And so before he leaves, he's telling his apostles, his closest followers, hey guys, I'm getting ready to leave and here's what I want you to know. And so that's where we find ourselves here today. And Jesus speaks of the peace and the comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14 is where we're at. Uh, We're going to start in verse number 22 and read through uh, verse number 31 this morning. Uh, John chapter 14, starting verse number 22. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot. Now pause for just a second there. What a bummer to be a follower of Jesus named Judas in this time, right? Because there's Judas that everybody knows of, and then there's Judas who's not that Judas, right? And so forever now, not that Judas will be known as not that Judas, the other Judas. And so it's funny to me as John writes here, Judas asked Jesus, but not that Judas uh, that you're talking about. So uh, again, Good reason why Judas is not a popular name for boys today. Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how wilt thou manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? So Judas asks a really good question. 
He says, hey, we've been able to follow you, hang out with you, have meals with you, see you work, see you do miracles, hear you preach. What a gift. He says, but why are you showing yourself just to us and not to the rest of the world? And Jesus answered, verse 23, and said unto him, if a man love me, he'll keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And Jesus says to him, hey, I'm actually going to come and set up residence to every single person that follows my word. Now, this is unique because he says, he's again telling them he's getting ready to leave, but he said, me and my father are actually going to come and live with them. And it's, it's neat that Jesus uses the phrase, make our abode with them. Basically means I'm going to make my home with them. I'm thankful that Jesus hasn't promised just to visit us from time to time or to stop by when we're having a, a rough time, but he's promised to live with us. And I can imagine the apostles are kind of scratching their head at this point because they're like, wait a minute, you already told us that you're going to leave. You haven't even showed yourself to everybody yet the way you showed yourself to us, but now you're telling us that you're going to come and live with everyone who believes. Verse 24, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with me. Hey, everything I've told you so far is because I've been with you. But here's what he says, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard how I said... I go unto you, I go away, and I come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto my Father, for my Father is greater than I. Jesus said here in verse 28, hey, you heard that I'm leaving to go to the Father, and if you really knew me and you loved me, you would rejoice. Jesus is going to say again in John chapter 16 in just a little bit, he's going to say, it's a good thing that I'm actually leaving because when I leave, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so he says, rejoice, be thankful that I'm actually leaving. And verse 29, and now I've told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and have nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. And then Jesus goes into what is described as a literary masterpiece, even for those that don't believe the Bible. Chapter number 15, I am the true vine, my father is the husband, and he that abideth in me bring forth much fruit. Talks about fruit bearing and how the father is glorified through that. And then again, he goes back to the idea, the theme of the Holy Spirit. Chapter number 16, he talks about the comforter, who's the Holy Spirit who will come and will guide us into all truth and just so much good stuff. Uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16. If you've never read through these, you need to read through them, and you, then you need to figure out, what does this mean to me? Because there's so much good stuff. We as Christians are living in a unique time, not only in world history, but also Christian history. I can't remember a time in my lifetime where there has been so much conflicting information that calls itself truth. That so-called facts seem to disagree with one another, where facts begin to change, which is kind of the opposite of what facts are supposed to be, right? 
We've never lived in a time of so much fear and uncertainty and doubt. And to, to this point so far in our fear series, I've kind of been implicit guiding you to trust in the Lord and have your faith in Him and to not be led by what the world says and things like that. But today I'm going to be a little bit more explicit in my introduction here this morning. And this is not a, a political statement that I'm making. It's a biblical statement. It's not a matter of, of who we should believe or what we should believe, but where our hope lies as Christians, where we find our source of truth. If you allow our society to determine your emotions, your mindset, and even your worldview, please know this, you are in for a heap of trouble for sure. A friend shared an article with me this past week that just absolutely made my head explode of, of just the data and the conflicting data that's out there and what the truth is. And uh, the article it, itself actually shared a cover from Newsweek magazine that it came out a few weeks ago was talking about the variants that are going through the coronavirus and the doomsday variant that is coming that basically will wipe out mankind. And the subtitle of the cover says, how worried should we be? Not a matter of should we be worried, but what is the level of worry that you should have when it comes to this? It's an automatic, this might seem like a subtle statement, but it's an automatic presupposition that you're already scared. How much more scared should you be? But here's the thing. I look at that and go, I'm not worried at all. I'm not afraid at all. This, this doesn't concern me in the least, but again, if we allow society to inform our emotions, we're going to be fearful. Another, another article, and here's the thing that I, I, I challenge you with this morning. The greatest threat that is facing our world today is not a medical crisis, it's a mental health and a fear crisis. That's the major thing that we need to look out for. Uh, the, the Mirror website actually uh, did an article, and the article states COVID has caused a tsunami, a tsunami of anxiety, depression, and mental distress. And if you think that this is just like at large or something like this, you should do some research for yourself. Try to call a mental health professional and try to get an appointment. Just try there have been so many people who have come to me and say, hey, pastor, I need to talk to somebody, but uh, the, my insurance doesn't cover it. I can't get an appointment with anybody. The first appointment's six months away. Uh, nobody's taking new patients and things like that. Just try to call and get yourself an appointment, and you can't because our mental health system is overloaded by people who are dealing with the fallout, not of sickness, but of fear, anxiety, depression that's come as a result of the fear that we've bought into one study showed, and this, this absolutely blew my mind, of the folks that were hospitalized with COVID, with, it, with the actual sickness, they had been hospitalized as a result of it. And they talked about the risk factors that identified mortality. If people come in with these risk factors, they're considerably high, more high risk to die as a result uh, of COVID. Number one was obesity, and we would think that the second one would probably be old age. But they found that tied with obesity was fear and anxiety-related illnesses. So it's not a stretch to say fear is killing people because they're so overwhelmed. And again, the if you take a look at historically, obesity was the first for probably the first 12 months, and then after that uh, came right up beside it, fear, because there's so much fear, anxiety, uncertainty, because 
we think that this sickness is the worst thing that has ever happened in all of world civilization. And please understand, I'm not minimizing the seriousness of those who have gotten sick and died, but please understand, there's 10,000 other things that will kill you long before COVID ever will, and if you're going to fear something, don't fear that. When it comes to children, since the beginning of this, according to the, the Center for Disease Control, I looked at the statistics this morning to make sure that I was accurate in the statement that I'm making. 486 children under the age of 18 since the beginning of this have died with COVID, not from COVID, with a positive result, whether they had leukemia, cancer, or a car accident, or whatever, that had a positive result. 486 children under the age of 18 nationwide have died as a result with a positive COVID test. Not one in Hawaii, zero, zip, zilch. But according to this study, one in four children show signs of clinical depression. Clinical. Not they're sad all the time. Clinical depression, one in five. 25% of our children are at risk of being depressed. 0% of our children are at risk of actually dying as a result of COVID. That should cause us to say, hey, wait a minute. Are we allowing fear to creep into our home? Are we allowing our family to be led by fear? Are we putting unnecessary fear in our children? And I am greatly concerned for my children and my family that we maintain faith in our family over fear. Our entire family got COVID. We recovered from it. Uh, Our symptoms were mild. My wife got the worst of it uh, because they say it affects old people worse. Uh, But (coughs) I love you, sweetheart. Uh, But... um, she got the worst of it. You know, she was sick for, for a week and a half or so, really bad headaches and, and, and coughing a lot and stuff like that. We, we were sick for a couple of days and, and moved on. Uh, both my daughters got it, recovered, popped back really quick. Um, my daughter, McKeely, who had a lot of pre-existing health conditions, uh, really didn't have a, a lot of problem at all. She was probably got it the, the most mild of anybody. We recovered, and so again, I'm not minimizing the fact that this is, is serious. So my wife has had people in her family that have died as a result of it. Uh, her, her brother was hospitalized for a couple of weeks as a result of it. I'm not minimizing it, saying it's not a big deal. I'm saying that more children die from drowning in the United States than die from COVID. More children die from neglect and abuse as a, instead of COVID. So again, if we want to put our resources somewhere that our children are at risk, let's put them where they belong, but let's not create a culture of fear that causes our children to be unnecessarily afraid because we as Christians are to live in boldness and courage, not, not a lack of faith. And so please understand, I didn't say anything that I said as a political statement. I didn't say anything I said as the fact that this isn't real or we're not denying science this is not a, a statement whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Frankly, I don't care. You're an adult. You're a grown up. Make your own decisions. Do your own research. Do what's best for you and your family. But I will say this as a Christian. I'm going to be ridiculously clear on this. If you are a Christian and you are putting your faith primarily in modern medicine and science to keep you alive, please understand that is a sin. Our faith is in God first, medicine and science second third, fourth, fifth. But God alone is our judge. God alone is the creator and sustainer of life. And our faith is in him alone. So we as Christians, if anybody should be able to push fear to the side, it should be us as Christians. And I've told everybody from the beginning of this, 
that whatever decision you make for you and your family, I support you 100%. You want to wear a mask, you want to get vaccinated, you want to stay home and watch online, I support that 100%. You make your best decision for you and your family because you're a grown-up. But I refuse to pastor a church that is led by fear, that we make our decisions based on whether or not we're going to gather together to worship God based on what the latest news headlines are, that we make a determination on how we're going to live our life or if we're going to live our life based on what we see in our Facebook feed. I refuse that flat out. We as a church will live by faith and we will trust God through this process until it brings us to the other side. Period. And this will never, ever be a divisive issue for our church either. We put God first, we're going to worship Him, come what may, period, in the story. But we will not be led by fear. There's a quote that hangs in our, our atrium on your way in, the very first quote that you see. When we first got news last February that there was possibly a shutdown that was coming that would affect our church, I gathered a group of our men together for a time of prayer and just talking about what's going on. And one of our men who works as a contractor for the airline who had found out that if they shut down travel to Hawaii, he's going to be the first one on the chopping block. We're going around the circle and we're sharing our thoughts. He says this statement. I wrote it down. I put it on the wall. I refuse to be led by fear. And I thought to myself, I'm going to write that down because I'm going to need that later. And I did. And here's the thing. You and I as Christians... We can't be led by fear. We have to be led by faith. We have to be led by the promises of God's word. And God's given us tools, resources to have the peace that we need. I'm afraid that somebody's going to take something that I said out of context and and saying that I'm denying that this is serious. I'm denying that this or denying that or saying that people shouldn't get vaccinated or people shouldn't go to the doctor or this isn't real. Please don't understand that, that I said none of that whatsoever. I'm saying we as Christians will not make our decisions. We will not allow our emotions to be overwhelmed by what we see in news headlines. We will allow the word of God to lead us. And if you're not there yet, good. I want to help you get there. Because God has given us the tools that we need to have faith. And God has given us a tremendous amount of peace during this time. And it comes from, here's where we get into today's message, the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. You and I have comfort from the Holy Spirit of God. Again, if we take a look at verse number 17 in our passage this morning. I'm sorry, verse number 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost... If you're a child of God here today, inside of you, you have the Spirit of God, and that should give you great comfort today. Depending on your English translation of the Bible that you're using today, you might have the word comforter like we see in the King James here. You might have the word advocate, or you might have the word helper uh, in your English translation. I really like the word comforter. The Greek word that that is used here as, as John wrote his gospel is the Greek word parakaleo, we sometimes hear you know, schools and things like that referred to as like Paraclete High School or Paraclete Christian School or something like that. The word parakaleo, the word parakaleo literally means one who comes alongside of. The word para means beside of. For example, you might think of uh, certain groups like Samaritan's Purse as a Christian organization. They are a para-church organization. They come alongside of a church. The word parakaleo means one who comes alongside of. It also could be, again, translating it as the word advocate. could be translated as uh, the word helper, intercessor. The idea of, of the Holy Spirit is this. You're not alone. 
The idea of the Holy Spirit being your comforter means you're not doing this by yourself. And for you and I, that should be a source of great comfort. It should encourage you that you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are gathered here together that you call your church family, that we get to walk through this together. That should encourage you that you're not alone, that you're not crazy, that you believe that God's got a big plan in all of this and he's going to see you through it. And I'm not talking about just our current health crisis and mental health crisis. I'm talking about life. You don't have to walk this on your own, but here's the thing. If you didn't have a church family, if you were stuck all by yourself, and all you had was the Word of God. Inside of you, you also have the Spirit of God, which means that you're never alone. If you got your Bible open over in uh, John chapter uh, 16, verse number 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you. It's actually good for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but I depart, and I'll send him unto you. And so we see here that the Holy Spirit, this word parakaleo, or parakale, uh, where we get our word paraclete or come alongside of, the only time in the entire Bible that this is found is in John's writing, this word parakaleo, John 14, 15, and 16. And John uses it one time in 1 John chapter 2. But the idea of this is that you're not alone. You actually have the Spirit of God with you. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus that resides in every single believer. If there's been a time, a day, a place for you where you've accepted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. If you're not a child of God, the Holy Spirit of God does not live inside of you. You're kind of on your own. But here's the facts of the matter. The Bible says that when we're born into this world, we're born as the enemies of God. We're not on God's team. We're not part of God's family. We definitely don't have the Spirit of God when we're born into this world. Ephesians chapter 1 would go so far as to say that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, that we're born spiritually dead on arrival. The moment that you're born into this world, your body is alive, your soul is alive, your spirit is dead because of our sin nature. And because our spirit is dead, we have no access to God who is a spiritual being. And that's problematic for a multitude of reasons. Not only do we not have a father that we can pray to, not only do we not have anybody that we can pray to, the Bible also says that the wages of our sin, the result of our sin, is death. And it's more than just dying. It's actually dying and then facing God's judgment in everlasting death. The Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 20 that there's a lake of fire called hell. And all those who cast in it are judged by God for eternity. And the Bible says this is the second death. So it's more than just physically dying. It's a continual spiritual death forever separated from God in a place called hell. Here's the worst part about hell. I deserve it. You deserve it. We've sinned against God. We've broken his law. That's the consequences. That's the payment of sin. But the good news is, is that God loves you. He doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to be judged for your sin. So God made a way for you to be forgiven. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sin and pay for mine. That Jesus came and he died in my place. He died in your place. I was supposed to die. You were supposed to die, but Jesus died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That while the wages of sin is death, 
the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross to pay for my sin and pay for yours. But here's the catch of all of that. You've got to make that decision for yourself. I can't make it for you. God's forgiveness is not just a blanket forgiveness that washes over everyone I wish it was. But you have to make a decision. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe that He rose again the third day. And I'm asking Him to forgive me and save me of my sin. And if you'd be willing to do that today, the Bible says that your sin can be totally forgiven, cast as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that you can be saved or born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Friend, the only way that you can be saved is through Jesus. Get your Bible open here in John chapter 14, verse number 6. Probably the most important verses in all the New Testament. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus says specifically, I'm the only way to heaven. You might say, well, I believe that there's multiple ways to heaven. You disagree with Jesus, then, and I I would not trust you over Jesus. Well, I believe that if you're really, really sincere in your beliefs, whatever they are, that that would probably get you there. Jesus disagrees with that. Well, I believe there's multiple roads that lead to heaven. Jesus would disagree with that. He says, I am the way. That's it. So, have you been saved? Have you been born again? If not, you should be today. It's not a matter of becoming a Baptist or joining our church or being baptized or doing religious works or taking a class or joining a group. It's a matter of being saved. And here's, here's the, the major, major issue. If you are not saved, God's wrath is coming for you. When you die, you will face God in judgment forever. But if you're willing to confess your sin before Jesus and be saved, here's what happens. The Bible says you go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. The Bible says you pass from death unto life. Ephesians chapter 1 again says you were dead in your trespasses and sin, but you're made alive together with Jesus Christ. That you were once an enemy of God, but now you're an adopted, a son, a daughter of his Once you were under God's wrath and judgment, now you're under God's grace and love and care. And here's the beautiful part about it. Once you were spiritually dead, but you're now made spiritually alive, and the Spirit of God comes and lives within you. And you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Keep your finger here in in John 14. We're going to come back in just a second. But flip over to Romans chapter 8 if you would. It's really important to me that you understand this verse, that you know this verse, that maybe you need even circle, star it, underline it in your Bible. Maybe you need to commit it to memory. I don't know. Romans chapter 8, verse number 9. Paul's talking to Christians here. And here's what he says to them. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, the Bible is crystal clear in this case. Let's make no mistake. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are saved. 
If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are not saved, you do not have the Holy Spirit. Couldn't be any clearer. And you say, well, that, why are you making such a big deal about that, Pastor? Because there is false religion. Primarily, this would be uh, those of a Pentecostal persuasion that say, you get saved here, and then you might get the Holy Spirit over here. They're kind of two separate things. And they'll use phraseology like, oh, you're born again over here, but you're baptized by the Spirit over here. Have you been Spirit baptized? And generally, that's code words for have you spoken in tongues yet? And so according to them, again, which is false religion, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life will be the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to cause sign miracles and wonders to happen, the ability to foretell the future and things that are going to happen, and all types of other things that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit doesn't actually do for us. I'd gone to a breakfast with a, a man when we were, before we even started who we call it, we moved to Honolulu, we didn't know a lot of people, and there was a... Um, a pastor of a church who called me up and says, hey, I see you guys are starting a church. Would you like to grab breakfast? I said, man, I love that. I don't know anybody. I'd love to maybe ask questions about pastoring in Honolulu. And he, he had also started a church. And it was a non-denominational church. And so I asked him, I said, what does it mean to be non-denominational? And he says, well, we kind of, you know, just focus on the big things of the Bible. <laughs> that should be kind of like a red flag because the whole Bible's big. There's no unimportant parts of the Bible. If we believe uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So when he said we, we focus on the big parts of the Bible, I immediately knew that's, that's problematic because all the Bible's big. And so uh, I began to go down a list of questions that, you, you know, that, hey, do you believe, that, you know, how, how are people saved by, this, by, by faith alone and Christ alone? Okay, we agree on that. You know, I said, can one lose their salvation? And he goes, well, some people in our church believe that you can, and I don't necessarily believe that you can. And we talked about that for a little bit. And I said, what about the, the, the gifts of the Spirit? And he said, well, we believe, have some people in our church that believe in supernatural sign gifts, and we have others that don't. And I said, do you believe that supernatural sign gifts exist for the church today? And he said, I do. And I said, do you believe that supernatural sign gifts are the only proof that there is of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? And he said, I do. And then I realized we're on different paths at this point. And please understand, doctrine always unites or divides. And at this point, I realized that we had reached a fork in the road. And I said, so you believe that if someone doesn't exhibit supernatural sign gifts, that they don't have the Holy Spirit? And he said, yes. And he said, I said, I just want to clarify. I have never spoken tongues before. Do you believe that I have the Holy Spirit? And he said, no. Okay. I said, so you don't believe that I'm saved? He goes, I believe that you're saved. I just don't believe you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So you're saying I don't have the Holy Spirit? He goes, right. Okay. And so we open up the Bible. What does Romans chapter 8 verse number 9 says? If you don't have the Spirit of God, why? You don't belong to God. I said, so according to Romans 8 and 9, what you're saying is I don't have the Spirit and I'm not saved. And he goes, well, if you put it that way. And I said, I was thinking in my mind, please be careful with the words you're getting ready to say next. And he said exactly what I thought he was going to say. 
well, if you put it that way, then I don't believe that you're saved. And I almost came across the table at this guy, right? Oh, my goodness. I said, so you're saying, because I've never spoken in tongues, I don't have the Holy Spirit. Because I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm not saved. He goes, right. Wow. That's a pretty level, a pretty heavy statement to level at somebody. And then you wonder why you have these churches where people gather around somebody and put their hands on them and ask them to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and come and come. And these people say, just let out whatever's inside of you. And they begin to shama hamala and all that other stuff. You wonder why they fake it because otherwise they're not saved. You're not part of our team unless you do this. And you got to do it. If you're not going to do it, we're going to stay here until you do it. And so, again, do I believe that the supernatural sign gifts are counterfeit yeah and Paul did too that's why he wrote first Corinthians and so again we don't have time to get into that that's not the the purpose of today's message but here's the thing if you don't have the Holy Spirit it's because you're not saved and if you're saved you have 100% of the Holy Spirit you don't need to get more of it and and again that's one of the reasons why it's, it's so problematic things that masquerade as worship music today are just bad theology Oh, we want more of your spirit, God, more of your spirit, God, more of your spirit, God. No, no, no. You got 100% of the Holy Spirit you don't need anymore. Do you need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you need to walk in the Spirit? Yes. Do you need to exhibit the fruits of the Spirit? Yes. Do you need more of the Spirit? No, because either you have it or you don't. It's binary. It's black or white. It's clear in Scripture. So the Holy Spirit is in every single believer. And here's what Jesus says. This is... This is mind-blowing. Again, uh, John chapter 16, verse number 8, I believe it is. Uh, Turn back to John, if you would. I'm over in Romans. John chapter 16, verse number, no, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it's expedient. It's actually good for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter won't come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. This, This statement here might seem blasphemous on the surface but here's what jesus is saying jesus in human form was actually limited but his spirit is unlimited if you remember judas not that judas asks him how are you going to show yourself to us but not the rest of the world that's a legitimate question now imagine this i'm out on the sidewalk i'm greeting people as they come to church on on sunday morning hey good to see you hey how is your week hey i haven't met you yet uh tell me about yourself how'd you hear about our church And we were talking out on the sidewalk. And then up walks Jesus Christ. Like, we're getting ready to start service in 10 minutes, and Jesus walks up. Well, first of all, we know who's preaching today, right? Uh, Like, hey, I had something prepared, but I know what you've got to say so much better, right? we got some songs that we're going to sing about you. Uh, We're going to talk about how good you are. We're going to praise you and worship you, and then you get to come up and talk. And Jesus gets up here, and man, he lets loose. He, he, He preaches the word, and we're just blown away by it. And here's what he says. Hey, guys, after the service, I'm going to be hanging out. If you've got any questions, stop by. I'd love to chat with you for a minute. Can you imagine? How awesome would that be? And so you're thinking in your mind, like every question you've ever asked, like he's there, you just walk up to him and ask him. And me, I'm terrible at thinking on my feet. Like I'd be sitting here like, oh, I don't know what to ask. What am I going to say? And I'd get up there, my one shot to see Jesus in the flesh and ask a question, I'd be like, so if Adam was created out of dust, did he have a belly button? Like, and then I'd be like in the shower the next day being like, oh, I should have totally asked him about that. That would totally blow my opportunity. But imagine like that was your one shot, you know? Jesus was limited in human form. 
He only has so much time to talk to so many people. He can't be in all places at one time. So here's what he says. Again, John 16, verse number seven. Guys, it's actually a really, really good thing that I go away because when I leave, I'm gonna send you the comforter, my spirit that will live with you. So now, get this. You got a question about the Bible? Study God's word and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God inside of you, will help you to understand. What? Like, how many questions do I get? Unlimited. How often do I get to ask? Anytime. How long is this offer good for? Until you die. The Spirit of God lives within you and lives without the limitations of Christ. While Jesus Christ came down to earth as a man, the incarnation of Christ, which we celebrate at the Christmas season. And the Bible says he took upon himself the form of a servant, Philippians chapter 3. He didn't lay aside his deity. He laid aside certain prerogatives of his deity. He was no longer omnipresent, but he was still fully God in the flesh. But he was limited in his ability to catch everybody, meet everybody. That's why Judas, not that Judas, says to him, like, how are you going to show yourself to us, but not everybody else? And he goes, oh, wait, wait, that's the great part. I'm getting ready to leave, but my father is going to send the comforter for you. And so, again, if we look in John chapter 14, verse number 26 is a really, really important verse. And I want you to get this because Jesus Christ is fully God. Not Jesus was God, Jesus is God. He always has been, he always will be. God the Father is also fully God. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, if you're a child of God, if you're saved, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit inside of you is God living in you, fully God. We refer to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit as the what? Trinity. Or somebody also said the Godhead. The word Trinity, never found in Scripture anywhere. It's a word that we created to help us to understand that God exists in three distinct persons, yet as one God. The Bible word for that, Godhead. And the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, in Jesus Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Beautiful promise. So here's the thing. God exists in three distinct persons, yet is one God. And I know that makes our head want to explode. And we try to make up all these examples of how God, that actually works. It's like, it's like water that can exist in a liquid form. It can exist in an ice form. It also exists in steam or vapor. And that's kind of how God is. They're all water, but they're in different forms. Yeah, but it all falls short at some point. I've, re- I've seen people try to use an egg before to explain the Trinity. It's just like, oh, everything we can think of to describe the fact that God the Father is not 33% God, Jesus is 33% God, and the Holy Spirit's 33% God, and they make up 100%. That's not how it works. God, is, God the Father is 100% God. God the Son, Jesus Christ, 100% God. The Holy Spirit inside of you is not part of God in you. It is all of God in you, 100%. Well, that adds up to 300%. I know that's why it doesn't work for us. That's why it's difficult for us to grasp that we have one God, not three gods but that's what the Bible tells us. So you say, well, that doesn't make sense. I know. And I don't have any other ways to explain it to you other than it's just what the Bible says. So heresy and false doctrine doesn't like to, exa- to 
receive the answer that that's just what the Bible says. So heresy and false doctrine always need to make up something else that makes sense. So there's a false doctrine known as modalism. And if you're taking notes today, just write modalism down. If you choose to go down the rabbit hole for that later, you can do it yourself. But here's the idea. That God exists, and this is why it's really important that you read doctrinal statements with discernment. God exists according to the false doctrine of modalism. God exists in three distinct modes, yet is one God. And the idea is this. That God the Father in heaven saw mankind's need for a Savior, and he left heaven and turned into the Son. And when the Son had accomplished his work, and according, again, they misinterpret Scripture, take it out of context. When Jesus says, it's good that I'm leaving because I'll send you the Holy Spirit, Jesus couldn't be God the Son and God the Spirit at the same time, so he had to leave so he could shift into the Spirit, which now lives in every single believer. And when God needs to be the Father, he turns from the Spirit back to the Father and then back to the Spirit again. Called modalism. It's a false doctrine. It's very uh, common in Pentecostal churches, or sometimes referred to as oneness Pentecostals. It's heresy. It's false doctrine. It's just not true. How do we know that? Verse 26 in our text here. My Father will send you the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Spirit. And how will He send it? He'll send Him in my name. God the Son. Here we see a verse that has all three parts of the Godhead and one verse here. If you look at the, the baptism of Christ, God the Son goes into the Jordan River to be baptized. God the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove from heaven. And in one verse we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No shape shifting, no changing of modes here. We see all three parts of the Godhead that exist at the same time to make up fully God. And you say, why are you making such a big deal about this? Because if you misunderstand who God is, you misunderstand all of the Bible. If you believe that you have a part of God inside of you, then you misunderstand who you are. That's why this is so important. That's why doctrine is so important. That's why I don't get up here and tell a couple of cute stories and then kind of tie it in with the Bible verse at the end. We preach the Bible here because you need to know who you are in Christ. So the Holy Spirit is inside every single believer. And here's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. We're going to go quickly through these. These are in your notes. If you don't have the notes, download the Holy Call app. The notes are there. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be God's presence with us forever, to be God's comfort in us, to teach us what Jesus has said, to remind us what Jesus has said, to point us to and speak of Jesus, to point out and convict of sin, righteousness and judgment, to make us holy, to guide us into all truth and away from error, to redirect our focus to Jesus, to glorify Jesus, to give us power to share our faith, to help believers pray when they cannot, to give us joy, peace, hope, and power as we serve Jesus, to give us spiritual strength, and to produce the character of Jesus inside of us. I know that's a, a really quick list, but that's what the Holy Spirit's there for. Notice nowhere in this list did I include telling the future. And you say, what, what is that? Sometimes people will say, oh, the Spirit gave me a word of prophecy for you. 
And that's code speak for new age mysticism. Just know that. And people say, oh, does the number eight mean anything to you? Eight was in my childhood phone number. 527918 was my phone number. Yeah, I'm seeing an eight when I look at you. It's just like all over you. What? Tell me more. Yeah, God told me like whatever's in your heart, man, you just need to do it. What? I was totally thinking of quitting my job this morning. I think I'm going to do it because you told me the number eight. Hey, look, you can turn on Oprah and see stuff like that. That's not the spirit of God. Hey, God told me for the husbands here today, love your wives the way that Jesus loved his church. God gave me that word for you. That's prophecy, telling you what God's already said. Hey, if you're here today without Jesus Christ as Savior, God's told me that you need to repent of your sin and believe in Christ alone as your Savior. That's a word of prophecy. That's what God's already spoken. The Holy Spirit isn't here to tell you whether, you know, the number eight means anything to you. And so when sometimes people will stop by our church, and again, they're well-meaning people, and I'll try to sit down with them and talk about them with the gospel, come by and say, hey, pastor, would you speak a word of prophecy over our family? Yeah, we don't really do that here because it's not biblical, but I'll, I'll, I'll pray over your family, that God will bless your family as you follow him. I'll give you a word of prophecy because God's already spoken it. Commit your way into the Lord, and even your thoughts will be established. God's given me that word for you. God's given me this word for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and all the ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. That's a prophecy that I'm willing to speak over you because God's already spoken it over you. But I don't get to just make up stuff that I think I saw in a dream someday. That's not of the Spirit. The Spirit's here to develop the character of Christ in you by convicting you of your sin, by pointing you back to biblical truth and at the end of the day, giving you and I peace in the midst of difficulty. And so if we take a look at our passage again, verse number 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things, bring all things unto your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Verse 27, here's what he says, I love this. Peace I leave with you, not my peace. I'm sorry, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. And so here's what Jesus gives us. Jesus gives us the promise of peace. Now again, when we study the Bible and we look at what the Bible says, we always have to look at context. And Jesus is speaking of giving us peace right after he's talked about giving us his spirit. And so he says, I'm giving you my spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and I'm giving you peace. So if you're a child of God, If you've been saved, you've been born again, inside of you resides the Holy Spirit of God, and God has promised that that Spirit will give you peace. That's why, honestly, I'm not afraid of anything that I see on the news, nothing. You know why? Because God's given me peace. And here's the thing. I might drop dead tomorrow of a hundred different things, and if I knew I had 24 hours to live, you know what I would still have? (laughs) Peace. There's nothing left undone. There's nothing I need to make right. There's no relationships that need to be amended, no things that need to be restored because I know that my time on this earth is limited and I know that God is in charge and that God is sovereign and that brings me great peace. Where does it come from? It comes from the Spirit of God inside of me, not because I've manufactured or worked it up on my own, but because I know that God is faithful 
And here's the good news is, is Jesus gives us his peace. Again, look at verse 27. Peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. When we think of peace, we sometimes think of peace as the absence of war. That's not what he's speaking of here. He's speaking of, I'm giving you a tranquility of mind because now you're one with the Father. The, the Spirit of God is inside of you, and that should give you my peace because my Spirit is inside of you. And Jesus' peace brings a clarity to the confusion that the world offers. It's interesting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse number 33, Paul says that God's not the author of confusion, but of peace. Paul says the opposite of confusion is peace, clarity. So if the opposite of peace is confusion, then the peace that Jesus gives us is greater than the peace that the world gives us. Because the world's peace that it tries to give only brings confusion. For example, when I first met with the men of our church back in February of last year, I said, hey guys, they're telling us we need to take two weeks off to flatten the curve, and then everything goes back to normal. So worst case scenario, we'll miss two Sundays together, then we'll get back together on the third, and we'll keep on trucking. Guess what? It ended up being 12 Sundays in a row. And guess what? It's not all over. Hey, wear a mask, wash your hands, stay home for two weeks, it's all going to be over. It's not over. Confusion. It's interesting that the, quote, facts continue to change. That's confusing to me. It's confusing to me when you see different sets of studies that contradict each other. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to me that and again, this is not a statement on, on vaccinations or no vaccinations. It's, it's strange to me that we create a vaccine that causes our cases to go up. Like, I don't understand it. And again, I'm not tell, telling you what, what you should or shouldn't do. I'm saying it just doesn't make sense. It's confusing. And if I am led by what I read on the internet, what I see on the news, what I hear on the radio, I will be frustrated. I will be confused. I was listening to the, uh, the news on the way home uh, from dropping my daughter off at school. No, I was listening to the news. I don't listen to the news. I was listening to Christian radio, which is probably worse. Because here's the thing. When I listen to Christian music on the pl- plays on the radio, I get mad because of the lack of good doctrine and theology, but it's positive and encouraging, so what are you going to do? Uh, but um, there's a, uh, the, the news came on, in, on on Christian radio, and they had an article that they had to call in a mobile morgue unit for Honolulu because our morgues were overflowing with dead bodies. And they were urging everybody to get vaccinated, to stay home, to, to protect yourself because they don't have the capacity in the morgue because they're overflowing with dead bodies. And the picture in my mind, terrible, you know, it's like a plague. And they said that there's 60, 60 body capacity in the morgue and the mobile unit that they brought in to handle all these dead bodies is an additional 40 and it's almost full and just be super cautious because nobody else can die. And you think to yourself, this is terrible. And then I start thinking to myself, 
how many deaths have we had in the last 30 days due to COVID? I do the research and we haven't had 100 deaths from COVID. And then I think to myself, why would the morgue have so many bodies if the death rate in Honolulu hasn't gone up considerably? Well, it's because funerals are limited to 10 people or less. And so people are saying, hey, hang on to the bodies until we can actually have a service where we can have people there. So the morgue's overflowing with dead bodies because of restrictions, not because so many people are dying. And it's like, oh, okay, but here's the thing. I had to do two hours worth of research on my own to come to that conclusion because the story wanted me to be afraid. And so the world brings confusion, fear, uncertainty, doubt. God's word brings peace and clarity. And I'm not just talking in this case here about the pandemic. I'm talking about the world's peace that they offer you is trying to get you to buy stuff that you think that will bring you happiness and peace. And it just doesn't work that way. Several years ago, my wife said I was going through a midlife crisis. I'm not. I'm not even halfway through this life yet. I'm 43. I got a lot of gas in the tank left. I'm not even halfway. But she said I was going through a midlife crisis because I told her I want to get a motorcycle. And she was just like, absolutely not. Not going to get a motorcycle. I don't want you to die. And so we had a back and forth for several years. And she's like, sweetheart, finally, would you let me get a motorcycle? It's all I want to do. And so she's like, look, I will. I was like, okay. And so in my mind, here's what I have pictured. I'm going to get myself a, like a big Harley, like chromed out, straight pipes with the big, huge ape hangers. I'm going to go with like my Ray-Ban aviators on and my beard blowing in the wind and, you know, my idea. And then I realized really quickly that I start looking at motorcycles. I can't afford that. My, my budget and what I actually want, I'm just not going to be able to connect it to. And so I dial it back a little bit. Maybe I'll get a street bike. And then I begin to picture myself, same thing, aviator glasses on. But I'm rolling down Lagoon Drive at this point on my, my, my Ninja street bike. And the F-22s are taking off. And I'm shaking my fist like Tom Cruise in Top Gun. You know, like, yeah, motorcycle, right? And so that's what I get in my mind. And so then I begin to, to, to think through that. And so I begin to find bikes that are in my, in my budget. And so I finally find a bike that's in my budget. And I go to look at it. And for those of you who know anything about motorcycles, it's embarrassing to admit to you, but I found a Ninja 300. <laughs> and so if you understand motorcycles, mopeds are like 50 cc's. I was like 300 cc's. Like man bike is like 1,200 and up. And so I was at Ninja 300, and I go to look at it, and I'm riding around the parking garage across the street. I don't even know anything about motorcycles, but I was riding it like I did. And so, um, and again, mind you, I'm thinking to myself, this is what I want. This is going to bring sad. Action. My wife says it's a midlife crisis. I say it's just dudes having fun being dudes. And I'm picturing myself as Tom Cruise with my Ray-Bans on. Uh, and so I ride the bike, and the guy says, is this for your, your wife or your girlfriend? <laughs> and I said, oh, it's, it's, it's for me. And he was like, oh, this isn't a man's bike. You need a man's bike. He's got a Ducati 1200 over here. You need this. I can't afford that. I don't want to die. Uh, 300 is good for me. And he was like, okay, fine. And so we get the motorcycle. And man, I'm excited to drive it home. I think, man, first thing I got to do, call USAA, put it on my insurance. So call, and they said, do you have a current motorcycle safety certificate? No. Well, we can't give you insurance until you get a motorcycle safety certificate. Okay. How do I do that? Well, each state is different. You got to call and find out. Great. So I wait till Monday. I call the office with the issues, the safety certifications. You got to take a course. Great. This is where everything begins to go sideways. When are the classes? Well, we hold the classroom training on Saturday and the road training on 
Sundays. Well, I can't do Sundays. What are the days you have? That's it. They offer a course on Schofield if you're active duty military. I'm not military. Yeah, Saturdays and Sundays is it. So I think to myself, well, okay, maybe it's like one to like four in the afternoon. No, it's eight to five on Sundays. So, hey guys, pray for pastor. He's not here today. He's getting his motorcycle certification course today. Uh, so pray that he doesn't die. You can't do it. And so I was like, great. I bought a motorcycle that I can't get insured and now I can't ride it because I don't even have a stupid safety certification. And it just went downhill from there. So what did I do? I have a friend in San Diego, and so I flew to San Diego, took a motorcycle certification course on Thursday, Friday in San Diego, got my certificate, come back, get my insurance, now I go and take the test to get my permit, and I come home and I tell my wife, I got my permit, but I still got to take a road test, and she's like, well, what does a permit mean? Well, permit means that I can't drive at night, and I can't ride with a, uh, somebody on the back, and she, here's where everything went really, really bad. She said, well, it doesn't matter because I'm never riding with you anyways. <laughs> Ray-Bans on, beard blowing in the wind, my wife on the back, or even in a little sidecar over to the side. That would be cool. With like one of those like floppy hats and the goggles, like a, something. She's like, absolutely not. And I was like, well, at least I could take McKeely. And she's like, there's no way our girls are ever riding that with you. So I don't, what? Like I have to ride by myself? And so then I call up Larry Gregory. Larry rides motorcycles. Larry, we should ride motorcycles. Oh, yeah, we, we go, go, go on a, a night ride down to, to the east side of the island. Yeah, I can't ride at night. <laughs> so I go take the, the, the road course. I fail. This is just progressively worse. So now nobody can ride with me. I'm on a girl's motorcycle. <laughs> I can't ride at night. I failed my test. I spent $1,000 to get a stupid safety certification. It's just awful. I'm turning in here during the middle of the day by myself one time, and some car pulls around me at like 30 miles an hour and goes past me. No lie, like I felt the wind on my shorts when they blew past me when I was turning left. I almost died right in front of the church. I'm thinking like, this is just awful. Nothing worked out the way that I thought that it would. So then... Uh, like three weeks later, I'm walking down the sidewalk one morning, and I look, and the gate to the atrium was open. And I was like, that's weird. We're like, we didn't leave it open. And I look, and my motorcycle's gone. And so then I think to myself, like, we got cameras everywhere. If you haven't noticed, we got cameras everywhere, because we've lived here long enough to know if you leave something out, it gets stolen. So I roll the footage back to figure out there's probably a couple of guys who picked my girl's motorcycle up and carried it out because it's basically like a really heavy moped. And they probably threw it in the back of the truck and drove off or something like that. Or maybe somebody like drug it out because, you know, whatever. I look, some guy opens up our gate, which was unlocked, which should not have been unlocked. Secondly, he lifts up the cover. He gets on my motorcycle. He turns the key. He starts it and he drives it down the sidewalk and he's gone. And I was just like, how did that happen? And so my office and my, where I keep my keys, and my keys are gone on my motorcycle. And so I roll back the footage further to find out what happened. One of my sons, who's not my youngest son, had moved my motorcycle one day, had moved my motorcycle one day, and I see him. He pulls it over to the side, he turns it off, and he throws the cover on top of it, and he walks off. And I'm thinking, you dirty dog. And so I'll call my insurance company. They say, well, how is it stolen? Did they, did they pull it up to a truck? Did they break the ignition? Did they put a screwdriver in there? No, they turned the key and drove off. 
then the question is, why did you leave the keys in your motorcycle? I don't know. And so fast forward, I'm no longer a motorcycle owner. Fast forward, I never drove down Lagoon Drive in my motorcycle, not once. Nobody ever rode with me. I never rode at night. I never got together with other guys and rode. The few times that I did ride by myself, I almost died. And I had in my mind this picture. Like, I'm totally Tom Cruise, right? It didn't work out that way. Why? Because the world sold me an image of what I really wanted, and I found out it doesn't work that way. And you think that whatever you're chasing in this world will bring you peace and satisfaction, but you're going to get it only to find out you, never, you don't really have any peace at all. Because Jesus says this, I give you my peace. Look what he says in verse number 27. Not as the world gives. <laughs> I'm giving you peace, but it's not that kind of peace. I'm giving you peace, but the peace that I'm giving you is better than what this world has to offer because Jesus is always better. And Jesus' peace is greater than the false sense of peace that we get from the world. Every time, 100% of the time, what your heart craves is Jesus. You think you want the stuff that this world has to offer. You think that you want everything that everybody else has, but what you really want is just Jesus. You think that that next relationship, that next car, that next promotion, that next place that you move to will bring that peace that your heart craves, but you're going to get what you want only to find out you're still lacking the peace because it's a false sense of peace that doesn't last, but Jesus' peace always lasts. And the approval and love of the Father always bring great peace to your heart, always. Again, if you take a look at uh, this passage, uh, Jesus says, verse number 23, Jesus answered and said, if a man unto him, if a man love me, he'll keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We're gonna live with him. You see what your heart really craves? It's just obeying the Bible. You want the approval that comes from knowing God and walking with God and loving God. And the peace that Jesus gives is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So again, this is not a manufactured peace that we try to work up on our own. This is the Spirit of God in me gives me peace. And you say, well, how does that happen? You see, the Spirit brings a sense of well-being, contentment, and wholeness to the believers regardless of their outside circumstances. Contentment, wholeness. Again, peace is not the absence of war. Peace is a sense of tranquility, knowing that God's in charge. And you're not going to get that if you're not a child of God. You're not going to get that if you're walking in rebellion to what the Bible says. I mentioned this last week, but I'll, I'll mention it again, and you can mark it down. You will never have the peace of God when you are living in rebellion and disobedience to the Word of God. Ever. I'll mention it again because it's worth saying twice. You will never have the peace of God as long as you are living in rebellion and disobedience to the Word of God. It just won't happen. You'll have inner turmoil forever. So how does the Holy Spirit bring this peace? I, I promise you I'm moving quick. The Holy Spirit brings peace as we're reminded of the promises of God. Again, we go back to finding peace in the Word of God. If you're trying to find your sense of peace from news headlines, you're going to be disappointed. If you're trying to find your peace from things you see online, you'll be disappointed. I have found in my life the greatest 
thief of my joy, the greatest thief of my peace in my life, might not be for you, but for me, social media. I scroll my Instagram feed and I'm greatly discouraged by how terrible my own life is. I scroll my social media feed and I'm greatly concerned with things that 10 minutes ago I didn't even know existed, but now I'm worried about it. And here's the thing, you can't live like that. The Spirit will bring peace as you remember the promises of God. We have this book on the back table, the Bible promise book. Free, take one if you'll read it. You say, what is it? It's a book of God's promises, growth in grace. Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so she shall be my disciples. John 15, 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endureth forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. Psalm 138, verse 8. Man, you need verses on forgiveness, they're right here. You need verses on God's faithfulness, right here. You need verses on your enemies, right here. Hey, the Spirit of God will bring you peace as you meditate on the Word of God. Simple as that. But here's the thing. You can't be reminded of the things you don't know. I can't be reminded of the top five principles of calculus. You know why? I never took calculus and I have no desire to ever take calculus. I hate math. Sorry. Not sorry. I can't be reminded of the things that I don't know. And if you don't know the promises of God's word, the Holy Spirit's going to have a very difficult time reminding you of the things that you never knew to begin with. So, Spend time in the Word of God. And again, Jesus says in John 16, 13, Howbeit when the Spirit of truth has come, He'll guide you into all truth. Next, the Holy Spirit brings us peace as we're confronted with our own sin. I already mentioned, you'll never have the peace of God when you're living in rebellion and disobedience to the Word of God. And one of the gifts of having the Holy Spirit is when you feel that like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's the Spirit of God at work in your life. When you say something, when you feel something, when you do something that you know you shouldn't have, and you go, boom, that hurt. I shouldn't have done that. That's a gift. That's the Spirit of God at work in your life. Don't shut that off. The Holy Spirit brings us peace as we're assured of sonship. I talked about last week how God is greater than a companion. He's a father. You see, companionship, you got somebody along with you on the journey. Sonship is I got somebody looking out for me. And I used the illustration last week, but it definitely bears repeating. A lifeguard is watching 200 people to make sure that they don't drown. A parent is watching their two kids to make sure their two kids don't drown. Difference. God's not just looking out all over all creation, making sure that everybody's okay. If God is your father, he's personally invested in your life, making sure that you're okay. And that should bring a sense of peace. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse number 6, and because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son, that's the Holy Spirit, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, God has made his sons. He's made his daughters by his son, Jesus. And again, John tells us that in John chapter 1. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even those that believe on his name. We're sons, we're daughters, we're greater than just companions. And I can have a peace knowing that my father's working everything out. And look, my number's going to come one day, and I'm going to die. But I have great peace that my Father has every step ordered in my life, and that the day I take my last breath here on planet Earth, I'll be present with the Lord, my Father. And that brings so much peace, so much peace.
Next, the Holy Spirit brings peace as we have one to pray for us when we cannot. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse number 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit maketh itself intercessions for us with groanings, with groanings which cannot be uttered. You ever had just such a crummy day that you sit down to pray and you don't even know what to pray and you're just like... God, like, help? I don't even know how to wrap my head around this. There's been times in my wife and I's life where we've been so devastated by our circumstances and our situation that we sit down to pray and I say, sweetheart, let's pray. And I just say, God, we need your grace. Amen. And here's the thing. The Bible says if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God inside of you, and that's enough. Because the Spirit then prays on your behalf. And again, this verse here is not talking about angelic languages or supernatural sign gifts. It's not talking about babblings of unintelligible syllables. It's talking about the Spirit inside of you says, hey, I'm going to let the Father know exactly what you need. You don't have to say another word. And I don't know about you, but that brings me a lot of peace. It's like when everything is out of control, the Father already knows and the Spirit's already told him. And I just need to say, God help. And God says, I got this, son. The peace that comes from that. Final quote. We've used this quote before in this series, but it definitely bears repeating again. Author Edward Welch says, Nearness and presence will be a recurring theme in God's words of comfort to fearful people. Of course, the earth belongs to the Lord, and as spirit, God's not bound by the limitations of space. He's everywhere at all times. When he underscores his presence, it means that he's working on behalf of his people. It means that he's for them. He's active, protecting, comforting presence. When he says that he's near, watch for his mighty acts, because when he is near, he is really near. When God promises to give us his spirit inside of us, he's not like a couple of feet away. He's in you. That brings me a great amount of peace. But here's the thing. My peace gets stolen when I listen to the wrong voices. When I allow the wrong information to control me. When I allow things of this world to affect my heart. When I become discontent with the things that I have because the world's things are better. The Holy Spirit's like, ah, you need to dial it back for a second. When I begin to crave the things that I are of the world, the Holy Spirit says, ah, I don't think so, son. When I begin to be overwhelmed by fear, uncertainty, and doubt because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what's going to happen two weeks from now. The Father says, it's okay, I got this. As a pastor, as a spiritual shepherd of our flock and our congregation, I panicked for about 30 seconds when our attendance dropped by 40% in one week. Ah, what's going on? God's like, I got this, son. Our family got sick. God says, I got this, son. Okay, peace and God's presence. But here's the thing. Two reasons why you don't have God's peace. First of all, you're a child of God who's chosen to ignore the promises of God's word. And you allow your heart to be ruled by your emotions. And you'll, you'll never have the peace of God. Secondly, you don't have the Spirit of God inside of you because you are not saved. 
That's an easy one to fix. Don't leave here today without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven's your home, that you're born again, and that you have the Spirit of God inside of you because that'll take you from here to eternity. But for those of us that are Christians, you've got a choice to make today. Will you live in the Spirit with God's peace or you live in your flesh in fear? Totally up to you, but I can tell you the better way is Jesus' way. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.